So we're going to be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We made it to chapter 9 already. Can you believe that? We're going through this verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, last week we learned about Christian maturity, how the mature Christian is one who surrender, willingly surrenders his rights to care for one another, right? That's Christian maturity. Where the other side of it is, oh, I, I want to hoard my rights. I want to hoard my liberties. The mature Christian actually willingly surrenders for the betterment of the brotherhood and sisterhood. Today, Paul's going to illustrate how he does that. Today, Paul's going to show his life as a picture, similar to what uh, Darren has done to show his life as a testimony of God's goodness. Paul's doing something very similar. Now, the series is, if you're joining us for the first time, thank you. We're grateful that you're here as a guest or fired up whether you're here in person or online. This is exactly where you belong. And we've been going through a series called Church Matters, all right? Church Matters because, A, church does matter and the matters of the church, issues of the church. And we're hitting on the topic of relationships the last several weeks. Now, today's issue of relationships is this shepherd and sheep relationship, leader-follower relationship. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about the trustworthy leader. And so today, Paul is going to teach us how leaders are able to build that relationship. Okay, so we're going to be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 18. So please rise if you're able to and follow along with me. I'll be reading out the NASB version. We stand because we have high, 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 high regard for God's word. And this is our way of showing respect to God's word. This is God's word. Verse uh, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those examining me is this. We do, not have a right, do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take on a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the, of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. Or do not only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants, uh, who, uh, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written, in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake. It was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Verse 13, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also... The Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have not, I have not, I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die, for better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. 
For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Verse 18. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious and holy word. I pray your spirit allow us to preach your word faithfully and powerfully, Lord. I pray your spirit will apply the truths into our hearts so that we have a deeper love for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. The trustworthy leader. This is the name, uh, the title of the sermon, the trustworthy leader. I think we all can sense it. In our culture, we have a crisis of leadership. I think we could sense it. In our culture, we have a leadership vacuum. We are living in an unprecedented time. Our children are coming up under an unprecedented time of distrust. I mean, think about the news. All of us should be discerning. Do we trust this source? Do we trust this media outlet? Do we trust what people post on social media? Of course we should be discerning. How about when it comes to schools and our universities? Do we trust our administrators, our leaders, our professors? Do we trust what they have to say to us? Right? At work, our bosses and our CEOs of major corporations, do we trust their motives? Do we trust that they have what's best interest for the employees? The nation. Do we trust the president? Do we trust the governors and senators and other political leaders? Right? The church. Do we trust the pastors? Do we trust prominent evangelical leaders? I remember growing up in the 80s. All right, I'm 44, going to be 45. I grew up in the 80s. I grew up with Ronald Reagan and those guys. And, but I also remember just hearing stuff. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but my dad would watch the news. And there's news about men like Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, basically these men who were popular evangelical figures fell, you know, whether uh, immor- through immorality or through fraud, for whatever reason, they fell, right? And today, 2021, no different. We hear of celebrity pastors, prominent celebrity pastors falling morally, failing morally. We hear of a prominent world-famous apologist failing morally. And this is how Satan works. This is how Satan works. Satan attacks the leadership. Satan attacks leadership. And every leader, particularly those who are in uh, positions of spiritual leadership, has a, have a bullseye right pointed at our heads. This is what it is. Because if you could debilitate the head, you could definitely cripple the body. This is what, how this works. We know this. I mean, this is where Judas fell. Peter denied the Lord, but the, the Lord restored Peter. This is how this worked. And Paul was a massive threat to the kingdom of darkness. If you're not a threat, Satan may not mess with you. But if you're a threat, if you're making plays for the kingdom of light and attacking the kingdom of darkness, 
Satan will have a big bullseye. And, and Paul was experiencing this everywhere he went. Physical persecution, physical attack, but also character. He, he was being slandered by false teachers. They wanted him out of there. Satan wanted him out of there. And in Corinth, he, he had a combative relationship with the Corinthian church even. He, as much as he's loved on them, they were questioning him. They poked fun at his appearance. He goes, you know, his, his letters are weighty, but in person, there, there's no juice to this guy. There's no, he has no presence. They question his style. They question the power of his preaching. His theology is strong, but he's not a very good preacher. They even question his integrity. Is he doing this just for the money? Is he trying to get paid doing this? Is this why he's doing this? And so Paul knew he had an issue here. He had a relationship with the Corinthian church, but he knew it was kind of shaky with some. So he needed to establish something right away. You know what that is? Trust. Trust is a fundamental issue that a leader needs to have with the people he leads. Amen? If you're a parent, your children need to trust you. If you're a boss, your employees need to trust you. If you're a professor, your students need to trust you. Right? If you're a coach, your players need to trust you and your other assistants need to trust you. If you're a pastor, the people certainly need to trust you. Or if you serve in any capacity as a lay leader in our church, they, the people need to trust. Because without trust, there is no leadership. It's just We're just playing the game. We're just kind of dodging each other. We're kind of doing the dance and we're just playing the game. But with trust, there's an actual genuine relationship between the leaders and those who are led. Okay? And Paul was innocent before God, and, and, and uh, although he was attacked mercilessly, I just want to just say this much about leadership. Yes, no leader, no human leader is perfect, and certainly there's those who've fallen in a massive way. But just know, it's always the bad apples that get the headlines. Just, that, that's how it works in sports. Most of the guys that I coach and coach with are phenomenal men, A-plus men. But there's a few that kind of went off the rails, and of course, they get the news. Same thing in the evangelical world. Of course, the news will like to highlight these negative stories. Just remember that. Let's not get overly, overly reactive to this. Let's be discerning, but let's not be pessimistic. All right? This is how this works. So Paul humbly presents his case to establish trust with the Corinthians. Now, just so we can follow along easier. I know we got our app, and some of us like to write. I'm going to give you the points ahead of time. Paul strengthens trust by presenting his calling. Paul strengthens his trust by presenting his rights. Paul strengthens trust by presenting his selflessness. He's a selfless man. And Paul strengthens trust by presenting his sincerity. He was very sincere about his calling. All right, Calling, rights, selflessness, and sincerity. Don't worry, we'll go through them all. As this, as this message goes along. Okay, first point. Paul strengthens trust by presenting his calling. As, as if he's in a court case. And here's exhibit number one. I am called. I'm an a called apostle. He's affirming his call to the Corinthians. And verse one, it starts off with a machine gun, staccato uh, 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 pace of questions, of rhetorical questions that he sends out. Right? You guys know what rhetorical questions are, right? Children, what does that mean? It means that these questions are more statements, right? And these are obvious statements. First thing he says, he asks, am I not free? Answer, obviously, yes, you have liberties. And he goes, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? 
right? So he's going bang, 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 these questions one after another to defend himself. And when he's talking about, am I not free? He's basically piggybacking on from chapter eight and he's basically saying, you know what? I got all the rights. I know all my rights. I'm not burdened. I know exactly. I'm a spiritually mature man and well-informed by the scriptures. I know the rights that I have. But he says next, am I not an apostle? Apostle simply means sent out one. It means sent out one. Apostolos in the original language. It means sent out one. This is a special messenger, an ambassador, sent out by somebody, okay? And there's two types of apostles in the New Testament. One apostle is a sent out one from the church. Men like Barnabas, hey, this church sent him out. Timothy could be a type of an apostle where Paul sends out Timothy to pastor a church. But there's a second class of apostles which are very unique. Right, these are apostles of Jesus Christ. There are only 14 of them that existed. The 12 disciples, that's 12. Judas proved to be a false uh, disciple. He was out and then they, they, they selected, uh, God selected Matthias, that's 13. And then Paul is the 14th apostle. These men are men that were hand-selected by Jesus Christ. When, he, when Paul says, have I not seen the Lord? He's basically making the case that he's one of these unique apostles, these apostles of Christ. And some marks of these, just for us to know, I'm, I can't hit on this very deeply, but I'm going to make sure we cover some of these things. A, a apostle of Christ is someone who was personally called by Jesus. Acts 9.15, Jesus says, he's my instrument to spread the gospel. All right? And, and, and he's also personally trained by Jesus. Brother Mark, Brother Mark read out of Galatians chapter 1. Brother Mark read that, that Jesus was, uh, uh, that God handpicked Paul and that Paul actually was trained by the risen Lord. This is after Christ was risen. And I want to just give us a little bit of history lesson. I think it's important for us to understand. Let me just read what he, reread some of what he read. Galatians 1.15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased, God chose Paul before he was even born to be an apostle to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, to preach Christ to the Gentiles, to, to the non-Jewish world. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. What does that mean? Paul did not go to Peter, another human being, to learn about the gospel. Where did Paul go? Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were, who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with, a, with Cephas as Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. So you know what happened after uh, Paul was uh, converted on the Damascus road? He preaches, uh, proclaims Christ right away in the synagogue. And guess what happens? He goes away to Nabataean Arabia. Where is that, Pastor? That's east of Damascus, a wilderness, desert wilderness area. He spent there three years. And guess what he did in three years of solitary life? The risen Lord personally trained him. Can you imagine that? Paul is there with his Old Testament scriptures. He's there to pray. And Jesus is personally teaching him the what the gospel messages and things the letters such as Romans were birthed out of that that, that that training session that that Paul had so Paul was very unique in this way Paul was not a regular apostle he was one of the 14 
And he even appeals to them, hey guys, if you're questioning my apostleship, whether you could trust me, the fact that you guys exist as a church is a seal of my apostleship. You authenticate my ministry. You authenticate that I am legit. You guys exist as a church. I spent 18 months, Acts 18 says, he spent 18 months in Corinth preaching the gospel and many were, came to know Christ. So Paul is certainly one of those apostles. I mean, he, God used him to write, I believe, 13 letters of the New Testament. I mean, men like that, they don't exist. So the question today, application today for us is this. This is kind of more of a warning for us. Today, there are some that claim to be apostles and prophets. All right? Do apostles of Jesus Christ exist today? No, not like Paul, they don't. I mean, in a sense, there are some apostles sent out with certain missionaries who go to unreached people group, uh, church planters, so forth and so on. They're sent out to start a new work. But in, ta- in terms of speaking authoritatively, speaking of having the same type of credentials as being personally handpicked by Jesus Christ, in a sense we are, but personally picked by Jesus and to be trained by Jesus, these type of men don't exist anymore. So we must, church family, hear me now. We must be wary of those who say that there are apostles and prophets who speak for God. You have to be discerning. You have to be discerning. You have to know who you can trust. Trust is what we're talking about, right? I was listening to Al Mohler. He has this a daily thing called the briefing, and he talks about certain cultural things and, and, and applies biblical truth. And, and recently he cited an article by, in the New York Times written by a, a woman named Ruth Graham, not Billy Graham's wife, but Ru, uh, she also has the name Ruth Graham, and dated from February 11, 2021, so recent. And this is the title of the article. This is the New York Times now, Secular News Outlet. Christian prophets are on the rise. What happens when they're wrong? The subtitle underneath it was more. It says, they are stars, talking about these prophets, within one of the fastest growing corners of American Christianity. Now their movement is in crisis. In essence, she, Ruth Graham, was writing about how certain men, certain women were saying that President Trump will win the next election. They guaranteed it. God told him this. And so now the media is kind of having a field day with things like this. And so I've used this as an illustration is this, in this sense. I mean, we're thinking about it. I'm, I'm talking about leadership, how to establish trust. If we're talking about establishing and cultivating trust, this is not the way to do it. You lose credibility with people when you say you speak for God and when you actually don't. This is why every Lord's Day we open up 1 Corinthians or John or wherever we're at and we simply teach the Bible. That way you know your pastor and your pastors and other church leaders are ministering the word to you. You're hearing from God right now when you read 1 Corinthians 9. That's, the Bible says the church was established on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians 2.20, that, what that's talking about, these are prophets from the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament wrote in the Bible. 
And why did men like Paul need to exist during that time of the early church? Think about it. Why did they receive miracles to authenticate their apostleship? Why did they need to proclaim that they're apostles of Jesus Christ? Think about it. The New Testament wasn't formed yet. If you're hanging out in Corinth in those days, who do you know to trust? You went with apostles. Because there's a ton of false teachers out there. Just like today. Today, we have Genesis through Revelation. This is what you need from your pastor teachers. This is what you need to go to. The Bible. This is where we turn to. The Bible is a foundation for truth. If you want to hear from God, you open up the Bible. You become a student of the Bible. You sit on the good preaching. This is what we're doing here. Because whenever you speak the truth, you establish trust. That's how this works. So as parents, I know we're very vigilant about you know, letting me, or yes is be yes, and no is be no's. I'm, I'm sure we're familiar with that. We want our words to matter. So from any spiritual leader, you want to know that you're hearing the truth. You're hearing the truth, and you could count on it. So point number one. Paul was presenting his, his calling. He was a true called apostle. Let's go to point number two. Paul strengthens trust by presenting his rights. Verses 3 to 11 is a big chunk about this one right. You know what that one right is? That ministers, those who committed their lives to the gospel ministry, should be supported by the people who benefit from this ministry. Let me just read verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And Paul is basically, says, I'm being examined. In verse 3, he says this, my defense to those who examine me is this. This word examine is more than, let me just check him out. This word is a word that carries a lot more weight. Anacrino means you are under trial. I'm watching your life. I'm hearing a lot of things about you from other people. I want to know if you're legit, Paul. So this is more than, oh, let me just check out this, uh, this person. It was like, okay, are you another false teacher? So Paul is making his defense now by saying, look, I have every right to receive uh, uh, financial support from the Corinthian church. He says, you know, don't we have a right to eat or drink or don't I have a right to take on a wife? In essence, he's basically saying, don't I have a right to support, to have the basics, and if I had a wife, to care for my wife and my family? Right? That's what Paul is basically saying there. I mean, he even uses common sense. Verse 7, he uses the soldier who, who, who fights. He used the farmer who plants. And he used the shepherd to take care of the flock. Interesting, right? I mean, these are just very common sense things. Like, of course, we wouldn't want our soldiers to be bivocational. We want them to be on the front lines defending the most uh, dangerous parts of our, of our territory, right? We want them ready. We don't want them to think about, I got to go to work at Walmart this week to support myself. I want to be there fully focused. And also interesting in Paul's genius and through the Holy Spirit, he uses these metaphors a soldier, farmer, and a shepherd. These are all metaphors of ministry leaders. Amen? So he, goes, he basically says, even in a common sense way, it makes sense to support those who labor. But he goes to the Bible, verse 9, it says this. He goes, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox 
while he, while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? In essence, what God even cares about the animals who work, who plow, who, who work, push heavy things to starve them, not to feed, uh, give them water, would be considered inhumane. God even cares about the animals, but how much more are the minister of God? He goes, if the animals get to eat, don't, don't the ministers of God get to eat, right? So he's making a lesser to greater argument. And so Paul's basically establishing, this is foundational teaching how we do life in the church. It's okay to support missionaries. It's okay to support full-time evangelists. It's okay to support pastors. This is a good thing. Not only okay, it's a command, Right? And I just wanted to make an application. My brother made it, Pastor Mako, made an announcement about how we finished in the black this year. I mean, I just want to tell you this, guys. As a pastor, I've always felt a burden, obviously, to make sure our household is cared for. That's a stress in itself, okay? (laughs) But now the whole church? I mean, honestly, just being open and honest with you, I felt it in a different way. And it was in the negative for a while. Our church leaders, Keith and others, were tracking all this. Our our trustees, Steve, and everyone else was tracking all this. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm powerless. I'm powerless, you know? Like, it's like, we're just praying. We're all praying. We're all praying. We're all praying. And God shows us he is faithful. And through the generosity of those who are here. And you know what what's also screams about this statement by the church? Money is not everything. We understand this. But it's a statement how fired up you all are for what's happening here at Evergreen SUV. It's a statement of the commitment, the conviction, yes, God is working here. Right? Who wants to invest into something that's dead, right? Like my Pastor Marco said, we want green, we want life. And that just encourages me at a different level, honestly. That ministered to me as we celebrated as a staff and talked about as a board. It was a huge celebration. I want to just talk about a couple unique things that this year brought, 2020. Think about it. 2020, unprecedented history of the world, COVID-19. I don't need to say any more than that. That's enough. But let me give you another hardship. We're in transition Oh, I may feel like I've been here for a while. I haven't been here for a while. People, people, people have, you know, thinking about, is this my church home or not? Which is great. Because if you're here, we want all of you here. Emotionally, everything. Heart-wise. And so we're in a season of transition. I get that. I totally understand that. But also, we preach and t- install the new pattern of giving. We, we, we have, through Corinthians and other parts of the New Testament, we taught through Treasure in Christ series, a new pattern of giving, free will, joyful, sacrificial, regular giving. In essence, before the Lord, whatever you have, whatever you have conviction before the Lord to give, you just give. If it's 10%, great. If that's a starting point, great. Whatever it may be. That takes time to adjust to that, those sort of things, in particular when things have been going for a long time. And here's a fourth uh, tr- unique challenge that our church has gone through. We no longer have a building campaign. 
We were doing a giving, building, giving campaign for 15 years, and you guys faithfully gave thank you. And that building campaign paid for the mortgage of our beautiful property. It was a faith venture. Now we're saying, all right, out of the general fund, we're paying for it all. You don't, do you think that tested my faith a little bit in the middle of 2020? <laughs> so all I'm saying is this. God is grace, gracious. God is faithful. He loves Evergreen SGV. He does. And he, amen, let's give him a hand. I see you, Bob. I love that. That's what I'm, just so you know, that's what I'm more used to. People talking back to me, clapping and stuff like that. Anyway, so I feel comfortable if you clap and say amen. Or preach it, brother. You know, that, that stuff helps me, actually. But anyway, the church, you guys have been so gracious. You're along for the ride here. And I'm so fired up what God is doing. And he's going deeper, as Darren talked about. He's going deeper into all of our hearts. How much do we love Christ? Amen? So anyway, so excited. So excited. Let's go to the third point. Paul strengthens trust by presenting his selflessness. Verse 12, let's go to verse 12. He talks about this. If, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Meaning if you support other ministers and other people, how much more Paul, who started the church, who preached the gospel, where Jesus tells him, don't worry, don't be scared, he was persecuted but don't be scared i got many people here just simply preach the gospel but paul shows his selflessness here he basically says that he denied receiving support from the corinthians and other churches other churches supported him and in acts 18:3, he was a tent maker he made tents that was his living and we use that term for bivocational people today who are in ministry as tent makers, you know, meaning they have a different type of employment to pay for their, uh, for their needs. But Paul was literally a tent maker. He made tents. And he did this strategically. He did, willingly denied <coughs> his support. And, and he goes on to say, but we endure all things. And you ask, why, Paul? Why, Paul? Why did you not receive? Right? And verse 12 at the end says this. So that. Right? That's anything you hear, so that there's a reason. So that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Hindrance, any obstacle. Right? Second Corinthians 6 3 goes, he wanted to give no reason to hinder the ministry. And you gotta understand a little cultural context here. Corinth, the Corinthian church was in the hotbed of Greek life in the Roman Greco-Roman world. Speakers were valued. Speakers were exalted. I mean, philosophers to uh, sophisticated and eloquent orators and speakers. They're in high demand. If you want to be famous, if you want to be rich, you became a speaker. And Paul was a speaker. He was a preacher. He didn't peddle those other philosophies of the world, but he was nonetheless a speaker. And so there's a lot of attachment to that. If you receive pay, oh, he's just doing just like everybody else, just to get paid. And in, in, in 2 Corinthians 2.17, you know, there, there, there are a lot of false teachers out there who wanted Paul out of there so that they could take over. They're trying to discredit him. They're just waiting for an opportunity. See, I told you guys, he's just doing it for the money. 
Paul was shrewd and smart and selfless, and he wasn't motivated by the money like the false teachers were. The false teachers were motivated by money. They, he calls them peddlers of the word. They peddle the word to get paid. And so he wanted to, Paul wanted to eliminate any opportunity. He wanted to be above, above reproach so that they could not pin him on any accusation. Acts 20, he talks about how he coveted no one's silver or gold to the Ephesian church. He said, I don't want to touch that. I don't need that. I don't want there to be a chance, a crack for these false teachers to slander me. So he surrendered his rights to keep others from stumbling, right? And let me turn our attention to verse 15. But I have used none of these things. He says it again. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done. So in my defense, in case, he goes, I'm not talking about this so I could get paid. He's not. He's, he's clarifying that. For it would be better, listen, because it will be better for me to die. Can you imagine that? To die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Meaning, see, Paul didn't mean it. He was just doing this to get paid. Paul's selflessness commands trust. This is how this works. And I came across this book here that fell here it's by Pastor John MacArthur about 15 years ago. I was a younger man and I was coaching already at the University of Southern California. And it's called The Book on Leadership. That's a cool cover. The Book on Leadership. I think it's still in print. But I wanted to read this for us here as I was reviewing my book here from 15 years ago. Um... I'm going to read this. This is what Pastor MacArthur writes. A leader is not someone who is consumed with his own success and his own best interests. A true leader is someone who demonstrates to everyone around him that their interests are what most occupy his heart. A real leader will work hard to make everyone around him successful. His passion is to help make the people under his leadership flourish. That is why a true leader must have the heart of, of a servant. If you can show people you truly have their best interests at heart, they'll follow you. You'll be trustworthy. Does this describe you as a leader? Does this describe you, fathers and husbands and brothers, as that type of leader? At work, if you have a certain level of uh, authority, does this describe you as a leader? My sisters, does this describe you your, your relationship and how you support your husbands to lead well. You have the best interests for one another. This is the mark of leadership when you're selfless. A selfless leader commands trust, your own trust. You, you can't help it. It just it happens. When you're truly selfless, you're thinking about others, people give you trust. Let's go to our fourth point here, final point here. Paul strengthens trust by presenting his sincerity. I think this is the crescendo of it all. I think this is what burned in our man's heart and why pray that burns in all of our hearts. Genuineness is a, is a scarce commodity these days. You know, people are more politically correct. People are looking to say things that won't offend. People are saying things to manipulate one another. This is common. This is very common today. A leader must be willing to stand alone a leader must be willing to be not liked. A leader must be able to put your nose in the tough spots. This is what a leader does, all right? And what would drive Paul to these things? It wasn't the money. 
It wasn't the fame. If you want to be famous, you should have stayed as a Pharisee. You would have been more famous there. Maybe you would have been the high priest someday. If you want to be rich, you should have stayed doing that. It wasn't the prestige. Certainly, he's a tent maker now. He could have lived in Jerusalem and, and been and, and living and serving in the temple. Nothing could, what could be more prestigious than that at the time? But it goes back to conscience. Paul's conscience was dominated by Christ. How could you not be when he spent three years in Abitina, Arabia with him? Three years being trained by him. Let's go to verse 16 here. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Why? For I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. This word compulsion means a necessity. It's in his bones. I've got to do this. This is what he thinks to himself. As he's lying in bed, preparing for a next I've got to be faithful to the gospel. I've got to do this. That's what is stirring in Paul's conscience. Why? Is it because Paul is such an ambitious man? Is this Paul because he's such a driven man? No, that's not it. Woe is me explains the source of it. Woe is me. Horror, intense hardship. No peace. His conscience is absolutely violated if he's not going to preach the gospel. Why? Is it because he's not true to himself? No, deeper than that. It's because he would have been true to God who called him, who handpicked him to be an apostle. Verse 17 says this, for if I do this voluntarily, meaning, meaning if, I did, if I chose to be an apostle, I would have a reward. But if against my will, meaning, if, but if I didn't, I had nothing to do with it, which he didn't, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. How do we know he had nothing to do with it? Because he was picked in his mama's womb to do it. He, was, he, was, he wasn't even born yet. He was already chosen. He had absolutely nothing to do with it. God already had a plan for him. And he saw himself as a steward. I don't own the gospel. I don't own this ministry. It's not my ministry. This is the, a treasure that's been entrusted to me from God himself. So, hey, Paul, spread this to the Gentile world, the gospel message. He had this horror within him. Illustration from the Old Testament. Any true prophet, any true apostle had this. Jeremiah, the Old, Old Testament prophet, similar. Jeremiah 1.5, he said that Jeremiah proclaims that he was chosen while he was, in, before, while he was in his mother's womb. Very similar. Very similar. But Jeremiah the prophet was also called the weeping prophet. <laughs> he was preaching at, during a difficult time where the Israelites were stiff-necked, hard-hearted, and no one listened to him. So understandably, he, he kind of got disheartened at times. Understandably, after all that rejection, he got frustrated at times. And in Jeremiah 20, verse 7 through 9, basically he says this. I'm crushed. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is too hard. And this is what the Lord says. Let me read one verse for us. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. But if I say I will not remember him, talking about God, or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it became like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. It's like fire in my bones. 
And I'm worried of holding it in. I cannot endure it. I mean, I can't handle it. I have this compulsion. I have to get it out. I can't live with myself if I don't preach the gospel. God is pressing into Jeremiah. God is pressing into Paul right now. I'm not going to give you peace. Just like the loving father Darren talked about. God is that loving father who will drive us to be faithful to him. So if you want to be faithful, let's not be like, okay, I'm going to be tougher. I'm going to be more determined. No, 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 that's not it. You beg God's grace so that you, he will empower you to be faithful. I got fire in my bones. I have to preach the gospel. Paul is saying it's a compulsion, not from Paul, but because he saw God is great. I'm going to have to answer to him someday. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Judgment awaits me. I need to preach the gospel. Verse 18, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Meaning, the reward is to preach the gospel for free because Paul received it for free. And so Paul is firmly is establishing his, that he is trustworthy with the people. And so he does his part. He does his part to patiently teach the people that he is trustworthy. But let me give an application for us now, including myself. I'm going to read one Bible verse, Hebrews 13, 17. It works both ways, right? Relationship is a two-way street, isn't it? So Hebrews 13, 17 talks about the role of the leader in the church. This, this verse grips me. This verse haunts me at times in a good way, keeps me sober. It says this, obey your leaders. So those of us who serve as leaders in the church at Evergreen, that's the right thing for the people to do, to, to submit to leadership. Submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls. Are the leaders sincere about this task? To watch over the souls of the people of Evergreen SUV. And this is the part that's very sobering. Perhaps woe is me will come into mind for some of us. As those who will give an account. Account to who? Account to the one who appeared to Paul in the Nabataean Arabia, Jesus Christ himself. So this is the part of the, uh, the membership here, the body of Christ here at Evergreen. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. What this is talking about is this. What gives joy to a leader? What gives joy to a husband? What gives joy to an employer? If when those submitted to them, submit to them joyfully, and it gives the leader great joy. What grieves the leader? When there's rebellion, when there's arrogance, when there's distrust, that grieves the leader greatly. Now I get it, no leaders are perfect, and no followers are perfect, but look, there it is. There's that relationship dynamic that Paul was reaching towards. I just want to finish up with this. The gospel, this is what Paul wants to preach on. I had a great opportunity this week. I mean, sometimes these weird opportunities come up, but I get emails sometimes. So I'm grateful that, uh, not from the church family, but just strangers sometimes. A guy from 
Europe, England, uh, UK, emailed me and said, hey, uh, coach slash Pastor Seto, uh, can, can I talk to you about football? I'm like, oh, okay. Email, set up a Zoom account with him. We talked for about 30 minutes about football. He asked pretty good questions. I was impressed. I was like, wow, those are some very good questions. So we're talking, talking. I said, hey, Maddie, have you heard of guys like Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Eric Little? He goes, of course, right? These are some of my heroes. Tell me, Maddie, what is Christianity like in England today? Basically, he said, well, that was a generation ago. My grandmother was 99, is a strong believer, but today is really not existent very much. And, and he goes, you know, in, from where I sit, or, you know, across the pond, it seems like that's kind of like it is in America. Maybe G- region by region, it's, people are more into Christianity than others. And I say, hey, Maddie, guess what? Let, just give me an opportunity to talk to you about something. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about the hope that lies within you if you trust in him. I said, the gospel means good news. It's the greatest news. In order to understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news. Matt, do you know that we've all sinned against God, even your 99-year-old grandmother? I know you love her, but she's made mistakes too. And that the Bible says that when you die as a sinner, you'll be judged as a sinner and sent to a place called hell forever. That's bad news, isn't it? He said, yeah. I'll give you the good news. God himself loves his people so much that he, he took on human flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life, the life that you can't live. And he willingly went to the cross and surrendered his life on the cross and God poured out his wrath on him and so that he could treat you and me like his sons and daughters. And if you trust in this sacrifice and you decide to repent, turn away from your sins and and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Matt, let's keep talking. We'll We'll talk football again. And how's that? See, this compulsion is not about us. It's about the one who you're gonna see someday. Have you been faithful with the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. None of us are apostles. And many of us are not full-time evangelists or missionaries or pastors. I understand that. But we're all called to make disciples. When was the last time you, brothers and sisters, shared the gospel with anybody? The soil is fertile. I mean, this guy was terrified in the coronavirus. The soil is absolutely fertile. God has done his work to cultivate hearts to hear the gospel. Be ready now. Even if you think you should do it, do it. Right? You don't need no confirmation of that. Just preach the gospel and trust God to do the rest with it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this word on the trustworthy leader. Thank you for the life of Paul. We worship you, Jesus. But Lord, what a human example in, in Paul. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, I pray that you prick our hearts to seek to be trustworthy leaders as well and to have integrity, be sincere in the call of the discipleship, Lord, in the Great Commission. Father, I also pray for us to learn to be good followers as well, to submit to leadership.
In the church context, in the home context, work context, whatever it may be. So thank you, Father. That compulsion is not about us. It's always been about you. So thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.